0: Okay, back to our friend, Job. As we said last week, uh, from this point on, we're not going to be looking at at every chapter. What we're going to focus on uh, more than anything else are the words of Job. His three friends, uh, they take turns another couple of times with exception of Bill Dad, he only speaks one more time. Uh, But ultimately, they just say the same thing over and over and over again. (laughs) Maybe in little different words, using different illustrations, that sort of thing. But the message is the same, and that is this is, is Job, you are suffering because you are a sinner, and you were suffering suffering so greatly because you must be a very great sinner, and you seem to be blind to your sin. So what you need to do is repent. And if you repent, then God is gonna bless you again. That's their message over and over again. It doesn't change at all. What we're gonna see with Job, on the other hand, is he seems to be evolving as he speaks his thoughts are shifting in, in different places and in areas his understanding of things is, are, is growing deeper uh, and, and that sort of thing. But what we're going to be doing this morning is looking at uh, chapter 16 and chapter 17. Uh, this is Job's reply to Eliphaz as he's spoken again the second time, but really Eliphaz doesn't say anything he didn't say before. He's, he, he's projecting the same kind of retribution theology you know that you're you're suffering because you're a great sinner and and all you need to do is repent of it and if you do that then god will bless you again that sort of thing and i think it's helpful for us to remember that 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 probably was basically job's viewpoint of things until all of this came upon him that this is one of those trials and tribulations in life that job needed we know job needed it because god brought it upon him uh, and it really should help us understand that God brings us into trials and tribulations at different times for the very same reason. He's a father who loves us and he's going to give to us that which we need, that's which we will, will give provide us with benefit. And sometimes that means struggling. So let me read chapter 16 and 17. This is Job's response to Eliphaz. Then Job answered and said, I have heard many such things, miserable comforters, are you all? Shall windy words have an end, or what provokes you that you answer? I also could speak as you do if you were in my place. I could join words together against you and shake my head at you I could strengthen you with my mouth, and the solace of my lips would ask your pain or lessen your pain. If I speak, my pain is not lessened, and if I forbear, how much of it leaves me? Surely now God has worn me out, has made de- uh, desolate all my company, and he has shriveled me up, which is a witness against me, and my leanness has risen up against me. It testifies to my face. He has torn me in his wrath and hated me. He has gnashed his teeth at me. My adversary sharpens his eyes against me. Men have gaped at me with their mouth. They have struck me instantly, instantly, insolently on the cheek. They amass themselves against me. God gives me up to the ungodly and casts me in the hands of the wicked I was at ease, and he broke me apart. He seized me by the neck and dashed me to pieces. He set me up as his target. His archers surround me. He slashes open my kidneys and does not spare. He pours out my gall on the ground. He breaks me with breach upon breach. He runs upon me like a warrior. I have sewn, or sewed sackcloth upon my skin. And have laid my strength in the dust. My face is red with weeping. And my eyelids is deep darkness. On my eyelids is deep darkness. Although there is no violence in my hands. And my prayer is pure. O oh, earth, cover not my blood. And let my cry find no resting place. Even now behold my witness is in heaven. And he who testifies for me is on high. My friends scorn me. My eye pours out tears to God that he would argue the case of a man with God as a son of man does with his neighbor. For when a few years have come, I shall go the way from which I shall not return. My spirit is broken. My days are extinct. The graveyard yard is ready for me. Surely there are mark, mockers about me and my eye dwells on their provocation lay down a pledge for me with yourself who is there who will put up security for me since you have closed their hearts to understanding therefore you will not let them triumph he who informs against his friends to get a share of their property the eyes of his children will fail he has made me a byword of the peoples and i am one before whom men spit my eye has grown dim from vexation, and all my members are like a shadow. The upright are appalled at this, and the innocent stirs himself up against the godless. Yet the righteous holds to his way, and who has clean hands grows stronger and stronger. But you come on again, all of you, and I shall not find a wise man among you. My days are past, my plans are broken off, the desires of my heart They make night into day. The light, they say, is near to the darkness. If I hope for Sheol as my house, if I make my bed in darkness, and if I say to the pit, you are my father, and to the worm, my mother or sister, where then is my hope? Who will see my hope? Will it go down to the bars of Sheol? Shall we descend together into the dust?" Sounds pretty gloomy, dreary, doesn't it? I would imagine that all of us in some way can relate to Job. Probably not to the degree that he has uh, been subjected to things have we been. But at the same time, we know what it is like to suffer in this world because we've all done it in different ways. You know, if you shared with each other your life history, you would find that probably there's some really great and wonderful blessing kind of things there, but at the same time, we all have suffered through trials and tribulations. And we understand, Joe, because in those times of trial and tribulation, very often we think things like, God, where are you? What are you doing here? If you really love me, how could you possibly subject me to what is going on in my life right now. Job is, you know, in the beginning of the book, is basically identified as a very godly man, but what I would say to you is this, is Job is just about as human as you can get human. He's someone that we should all be able to relate to. Maybe not to the degree that he's he's endured things, but we've endured things in our own life. But Job, here in the beginning of chapter 16, he's he's come to the point that he's just concluded that both God and man are against him. That his three friends are against him, that God's against him. It's as if they've joined hands with one another and they're attacking him together. Job sees himself as not really having anywhere to turn. I would imagine he feels at this point that there's not one single person that will show him the least amount of compassion. He sees himself as all alone. Now maybe you've been at points like that in your own life where you felt very much alone. And sometimes you've concluded, well, you know, I talk to so-and-so or I share with so-and-so, but they really don't understand because this is one of those kinds of things that you just can't understand unless you are in it yourself. And we need to have that mindset to our friend Joe because he really isn't a place that none of us has ever come close to being in. He just literally is. That doesn't mean that we haven't hurt and suffered in life. All of us have, some in very different ways than others but we know that being a human here in the world that there's suffering that comes along with it whether you're a christian or not a christian there's always suffering as part of a person's life some people let that define who they are they live there their whole lifetime it's not a place where we can dwell It just isn't. Because we have a Savior that has delivered us from all of this. But Job sees himself as being all alone. And I would imagine everyone in this room, at some point in your life, you felt that yourself. There's no one there for me No one is helping me. There are probably a lot of people that are telling me what I need to do. (laughs) That if they were in my shoes, they probably would tell me something very differently. They just don't understand. As we said before last week, Job makes it very clear that everything, not just, not just him, but the, the angels and you know, every created being and all of creation understands that God is the one that has brought this affliction upon him. No one doubts that. And here he says this this is a description of what God is doing God has worn me out he has shriveled me up he has torn me he has hated me he has gnashed his teeth at me He has uh, given me up to the ungodly he has cast me into the hands of the wicked he has broken me apart He has seized me by the neck. He has dashed me to pieces. He slashes open my kidneys. He pours out my gall. He breaks me with a breach uh, upon breach. He runs upon me as a warrior. Have you ever been in that spot yourself where you believe that everyone's against you? And in particular, that God is against you. Chapter 16, verses 15 through 18. He basically says this, I have done what I can do, but I have all but given up at this point. Job is developing what we might call a defeatist attitude. He's to the end of his rope. It's like he has no more rope to reach for, to grab for, to hold him up. He says that he has sewn sackcloth on his body. That is a symbol of grief. This is what the ancient Hebrews did. They put on sackcloth and poured ashes on their head. An outward symbol of a real heart-wrenching going on in that person. Job is grieving for a lot of things. I would imagine a big part of his grief still has to do with his family. Can you imagine losing all of your children in one fell swoop and probably grandkids right along with them? not only that, but, but servants that you loved as brothers and sisters. He weeps incessantly. he cannot stop crying. But I would imagine the thing that he is grieving for most is his relationship with God. He feels like he has lost it completely. There's somewhat of some controversy in Chapter Sixteen. He speaks about, again, this person in heaven. He's mentioned this before. I was thinking about this the other day. Because we know know some things about the Old Testament saints. We know ultimately that they were saved by the blood of Jesus, right? There's not two ways to salvation, the Old Testament way and the New Testament way. The difference between them and us is this, is that we look, we look back to the Redeemer who has come. They were looking forward to the Redeemer who would come. But he alludes again to this person Verse 19, my witness is in heaven. He who testifies for me is on high. Now, what some of the commentators would say is this. He's talking specifically just about God. This is referring to God, period. But I was thinking about this the other day, and and something that became very apparent to me is this. There's a few things we need to understand. First of all, and that is... That election to salvation took place at the beginning of time, at the time that God created the heavens and the earth. We understand that when Job died, eventually, that his, that his body stayed here in the world, but his spirit went to heaven to be with God. And guess what that would include? Not just God the Father, but God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. What I'm telling you is there's a sense in which Je- uh, Job met Jesus before Jesus be- even became incarnate. And I would say this, that, that he's alluding to this mysterious kind of person that he knows is there, or he's hoping is there, to speak on his behalf in the courtroom of God. And he alludes to this over and over and over again. He doesn't understand things in the way that we do. As we said last week, we have a lot more information than Job had in regard to the Trinity and that sort of thing. You see, I want to imagine at the moment that he, his spirit left this world when he finally did die, that he entered into the presence of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Are we to think that through all of this, that the Son of God, who knew that Job was one, that God the Father had granted to him at the very beginning of time, sat there in absolute silence? I doubt it. I can't imagine that. Job understands this, that he truly does have that advocate. He doesn't know the details like we do. We know that we have this advocate in heaven who speaks on our behalf. He's doing that for you and I right now, you and me right now. We haven't actually met him yet, have we? that we have every reason and the confidence that we will in the meantime he's defending you he's watching over you he's caring for you he's continues to intercede on your behalf because you are his and god the father gave you to him at the very beginning of time not when you were born It's so easy for us to, to, to kind of develop this, this idea about things that, you know... I understand that things are a little different from God, but, but the idea that, you know, time is actually a creation of God, well, you, you know, that doesn't necessarily make a lot of sense to us. But you need to understand something. is, is God doesn't keep time because God's timeless. Time doesn't have any meaning for God at all. Mary it pretty much defines how our day goes. Time is just one of those gifts that God has given to us to help us manage our way through this life. God's time scale is eternity, eternity. No beginning, no end. Period. But Jesus, Son of God, is eternal just like the Father is. He has known you from the very beginning of time. He knew Job from the very beginning of time. He has loved you from the very beginning of time. As he loved Job from the very beginning of time. Job knows these things. How does he know these things? Obviously, God's enlightened him to things in some way. But it's just hard to avoid this. This is one of these golden threads that holds this book together, and that is this this idea of this redeemer, this idea of this intercessor, this heavenly person. Job is really depressed. One of the most amazing things is is it doesn't seem like he's suicidal at all. I mean, it never comes up in the book that Job's even thought about taking his own life just to bring an end to it. But he sees here... And we've seen this before already, that he sees death as is the only thing that is going to bring an end to his suffering. There's a sense in which he's longing for death. He sees the grave as his release. In chapter 17, verses 3 through 5, Job actually challenges these three guys to step between him and God. To put himself in the line of fire. To protect him. Soldiers sometimes really do throw themselves on hand grenades, knowing they're going to die, but caring more about the people around them they do, than they do themselves. It has to be an instantaneous kind of thing, too. They don't have any time to think about it, they have, don't have, have time to pray about it or anything like that. It has to be an immediate reaction to the circumstances. He challenges one of his buddies, in essence, to step into his shoes, if it be ever so briefly. And I think probably there's some of this thought going through Job's mind, and that is, if you just stepped into my shoes for just a brief moment, you would see things very differently than you do now. And I think that's a lesson that we all need to hear. It's very, very, very easy to go on assumptions about this, that, or the other, the lives of other people. Why did they do that? Why did they say that? And reality is this, as we understand this, that very often, even though we jump to all kinds of conclusions, that we understand that if we stood in someone else's shoes, we might see things very differently than we do. Job is going through a lot. Why God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit decided to subject him to this, we do not know. Why was it Job? He's an outcast from society. Not just his three friends, but society as a whole has cast him out, cast him aside the road. Just think about what Job's life was like just a few months before this, compared to what it is now. It's hard to even imagine the magnitude of the change that has taken place in this man's life. He who was once revered among men now suffers their disdain and contempt. Those who pass him by spit on him. Now we understand this and even little children understand this you don't even have to tell them they understand it it's it's in our dna i guess that spitting on someone is a measure or the greatest measure of disdain or contempt that we could have for another person one of the things I think we always have to remember we're studying the book of Job is he's not the last one to suffer, that Jesus comes and Jesus suffers. There's a sense in which Job, the things going on with Job are a kind of prefiguring of what would actually take place in the life of Christ. When the Son of God came into this world and he, he grew up into a young man and he began to preach and teach, did everyone love him? We know that he suffered the disdain of many people, even to the point of being spit upon. Can you imagine spitting on the Son of God? (laughs) Really? People did it. It's a measure of the wickedness, the sinfulness of the human heart. universal language of utter contempt and disdain and everybody knows it i was trying to remember if there's ever been a time in my life when anybody spit on me like this and i can remember when we were children sometimes we would spit on each other i don't ever remember uh, in my adult life anyone ever spitting on me except for one time they didn't actually spit on me they spit at me Lori and i were in uganda and we'd been there for a month and we were headed down from the mountains back to fort portal to make our way back home so we could see our how many kids do we have? Three kids at that point. Three kids. And uh, and we're driving along this road, and you know we were in one of the vehicles of the missionaries, and there was this old guy walking down the side of the road, an African, Ugandan guy. And as we passed, he spit on the truck. You know, and you want to stop and say, why, why, what have I done to you that you would do that to me? And I've always liked to think that maybe that is one of those times that we suffered to some degree because our relationship with Christ, because there was a sign on the side of the, uh, of the truck that told people that they were with World Harvest Mission. Jesus calls us to endure many things, but one of those is, unfortunately, the disdain of other people. I would imagine all of you have felt that. You have suffered as a result of it. But I would imagine if you would spend some time thinking about it, reflecting upon it, You would have to say there have been times when I have shown other people nothing but absolute disdain. I have judged them for their circumstances. When we do that, we put ourselves in a very precarious situation. In other words, the only way that you can do something like this is to think for at least briefly that you're better than someone else. That you're superior. That you have a greater love for God. That you have a greater passion for the holiness of God. Than other people do. I tell you, the thing that grieves me as a pastor more than anything else is when people judge other people, when they have not walked in their shoes. They don't even know these people, but they are very willing to make all kinds of very harsh and strict judgments about people they don't know diddly squat about. There are troublemakers who seem to just thrive on causing strife. It grieves the heart of God like nothing else will. And I really believe this. If you and I, if this was true for all of us, if we stopped focusing on what we think is sin in other people and we started looking at our own and dealing with our own, the church would be absolutely transformed. Transformed. And if we're not willing to do that, we're exactly like Job's three friends. They are us with a different face. last part of chapter 17 job begins to reflect on his death again he concludes that even though these three are supposed to be wise men that they really have no wisdom among them they think they know it all they think they have all the answers and reality is they flat don't You wonder why Job continues to talk to these three fellows. You know, part of me just goes on the assumption that maybe he just kind of occupies some of his time so he's not focusing so much on the suffering he's going through. But he continues to engage them. He never gets to the point where he says, "Up! I've just had enough of you guys. Leave me alone. Bye. What I'm telling you is this, is even though these three guys are not being very much friends to Job, Job in essence is being the very best friend that any of them have ever had. Because he's trying desperately to help them see the truth and reality of things. But they're so blinded by their own self-righteousness that they can't see the forest for the trees. What a friend we have in Jesus. Our friendships, our relationships ought to be very reflective of a healthy, thriving relationship with Jesus Christ. If they're not, then something is desperately wrong. And it's not on God's part. So let me ask you a question this morning. Do you think that you are a help or a hindrance to other people? Or do you still love yourself more than anything else? It's not easy to be a believer. Sometimes it means dealing with really, really hard things, heart wrenching things. There's a way to do it wrongly, and unfortunately, very often people do exactly that. On the other hand, there is a way to do it rightly that ultimately shows itself to be a blessing to everybody. That is what strengthens and builds the church. We have problems. We've had problems from the time we were born. We're going to have problems until the time we die. The question comes down to how do we deal with them? Do we deal with them in a godly fashion, or do we try to deal with them the way the world does it? I mean, really, are we more like, even at this point, are we more like Job or are we more like Job's three friends? Can't be. Just can't be. Now, was the last time you asked God to change me? Every day. Change me. I don't like what I've become. I don't like what I look like. Make me different. Make me a blessing to other people. We come today to the Lord's table to celebrate that person. His name is Jesus Christ. He is the true Lord and Savior of those who trust and believe on him.